live for another episode of First Strike. Before we start the show, as always, got to plug our sponsor, face-to-facegames.com, the number one place to get your Magic of the Gathering singles. This week, there's 20% off all promo slash full art lands. So definitely check that out. And, of course, there's going to be some sort of Black Friday, Cyber Monday sale. So definitely look forward to that. Uh, check the Facebook page, Twitter, everywhere, the, the main face-to-face games page. Uh, the sad thing is, this week, most, most stores are run on Crystal Commerce. Uh, they've decided to do some sort of migration, and now a lot of online stores aren't currently working properly. And so I wouldn't recommend anyone <laughs> go right now to make any purchases, as awkward as that sounds. But things should be resolved sometime tonight or even by now, and things should be snappier than ever before. Um, I've, I've been checking out... The speed difference, face-to-face games, has historically been super slow at search. And by moving the, all the website, all the servers to, to Amazon, that's going to significantly improve uh, performance. So hopefully, after this week is done, if you've been shopping online a lot, you will experience uh, a more pleasurable experience. Now, this episode, we're going to have two champs in the house. Two of the three champs. I had Cyrus on my other show last night. These guys took down SCG Vegas. Super happy to have them on. It's an honor, and especially to watch them live, jumping in the air as they took down the final match. <laughs> Marcus Thibault and Jonathan Zhang in the house. How's it going, fellas? Steez. <laughs> yeah, I feel pretty good. I'm not going to lie. For the record, I never jumped one time. <laughs> oh, it was both from Jonathan. Jonathan was like, yeah, and then me and Andy were watching, like, yes. I think I was probably jumping watching that. Uh, Marcus, how did this team come together? Dr. Cyrus, obviously, Cyrus is now known for the John Rolfe <laughs> shot that, that he's had live. <laughs> Marcus, how, how did this team get put together? Uh, so originally it was supposed to be me, Jonathan, and uh, another guy from here named uh, Warren, who uh, is notorious now for playing like Arcoy Phoenix strategies. But uh, he wasn't able to come due to work kind of things so scrap that found a third and then our uh, our actual third which was nathaniel knox who's a aspiring uh, gold pro uh wanted to bring another person with him so it's just like okay well jonathan bowed out and i uh, nicely enough um so it was me him and uh our third and then maybe three weeks ago they decided to not go and uh, so I was stuck with the B and B, my flight, and everything else. And I was just like, "Oh well, great, no team." So uh, I scrambled to find a team. Jonathan was just like, "I'll see if I can get it off again, nicely enough." You know, costing him hundreds of dollars because of sixteen-year-old uh, kids couldn't you know decide on things. And uh, yeah, we found uh, Cyrus through a uh, moto grinder named Elf Kid whose real name I can't pronounce. And, uh, yeah, it all kind of just melted together, considering, I mean, Cyrus hadn't actually won Eternal Week or came in second Eternal Weekend yet, but, like, I don't know. I've, I've heard of him plenty of times. I've seen him grind on Moto, seen his name a bunch. So I was like, yeah, why not? It's just, like, he's better than me at Legacy, so why wouldn't I want him on my team? And then we just, like, talked a bunch, mainly just team strategy kind of things and then oops he came second in eternal weekend and i was like oh well now i feel a thousand times better about picking cyrus and then uh yeah i mean that's basically how the team came together kind of just fumbled our way together uh john gotta hear it from your perspective because after you were on our show a few weeks ago you like messaged me and like kyt knowing one that what team would be in vegas so you were you were in, in limbo at one point yeah, it's funny, um, Warren, I'm sure you know him, KYT, uh, super nice guy, but uh, he, he bowed out due to uh, work obligations, and he found out um, I'm winding up on a team with someone called um, uh, uh, John Stern. Have you heard some, of that guy? Some bum. I don't know. <laughs> he, snaked, he snaked his way out into a team with a gold pro, and your friend uh, Eugene, was it? Yeah, Eugene Ho. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Just kidding, Warren. We love you, but um, we went we went flying. Like, if I could use like poker terms, we went from drawing dead to being 90% favorite to go to Vegas to me bowing out into Marcus having a 90% shot into Marcus drawing dead and back into uh, uh, actually going to Vegas. Um, uh, Elf, shout out to Elf Kid, he was clutch, um, linking us with Star CG. Um, I, I definitely had no doubt. I've seen his uh, legacy content, I've seen his grinding, I've seen, I know his um, 
uh, writing with Storm on various outlets. I was not worried whatsoever, but um, it was in doubt for a while there, and uh, um, I was planning not to go for a good, good, better part of one month. So, shout out to fate bringing us together. I guess. I mean, just talking to Cyrus and, and hearing about his accomplishment, I, it just seems like um, in our interview he said he only picked up the deck in, in 2016. That's 20 years, uh, two years ago, and now he finished his second internal weekend. First, now it just seems like a, a potential rising star. Um, says he's trying to stream regularly and play as much as possible. I mean, keep, I mean people got to keep their eyes on that name. Um, Derek, you, you went to GP Milwaukee, right? I certainly did. What I... was uh, your assessment of the standard metagame heading in? You were going to jam green-black no matter what, and I imagine you played green-black. Of course I did. Um, uh, we basically decided, well, I decided that with the Pro Tour being the week before, I think that most people would at least try the white deck. And then I think once they sort of realized that everybody knew how to beat the white deck, they would sort of get off the white deck. Um, and then you would have these people who are trying to play the Arclight Phoenix deck that 10 owed, and you would have your crazy Jeskai players trying to build some Jeskai deck that was good for the event um, that would sort of like beat the meta. And then you would have people going back to green black because it's the 55% or deck or like the 51% or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I was expecting like uh, a good amount of white decks, whether it be tokens or mid range, and then like a decent amount of arc like Phoenix decks. And then uh, a random assortment of Jeskai decks um, later in the tournament. Um, I mean, I made a couple adjustments in my deck um, accordingly after reading an article written by uh, Andrea Mangucci on Channel Fireball. Um, he, he made the adjustment of cutting fine brokers and um, playing an extra Midnight Reaper, which I thought was a really good idea. And um, I played a fourth Wild Growth Walker when I was playing three before in an adjustment for the white decks and the aggro decks. Uh, Edgar was playing Mono Red for the event, so I assume that if he was playing Mono Red, other uh, people that are higher up in the skill level would also think that Mono Red was a good idea. So I also decided to play more uh, two Bronton onto my sideboard along with the Walker in the main. Hmm. So uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, I mean, we had a listener that wanted me to put you on the spot there because of the results of, of the emergence of Jeskai control as you saw it literally top 20 something or so like at one point like if you had down the list it's like boom 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 like control control just got control the level yeah. here that was sandy in the chat um, so what do, you, what do you think about that what, what are the results uh i think that there is it, it seems very odd to me because there seems to be a large disconnect between paper events and moto events and i don't know if it's skill level if it's familiar familiarity with the format but if we even take a look at the, de the deck list that won, I had never seen the deck list like that. Most deck lists I've seen like that were absolute garbage. I don't understand how that deck won the event. And like, I don't want to sound like, <laughs> angry or angsty about it, but like, come on, I've had like at least 10 people ask me, is this deck really good? It's just Adrian Sullivan, man. That guy yeah, like, like whatever he wants. There, like, some, like you look at the, I took a draw. I was 11-3-1. The person I drew with came ninth. I looked at the ninth place person's deck list and there's just like a sprinkle of random cards. There's one Nidmizzet, one Lyra, one Crackling Drake, three Teferi, two Gate. Like who comes up with these numbers? Like where are they coming from? Do they just roll a dice and they end up in this deck list? And then you have all these players who aren't playing standard consistently like I am playing against this deck list and they have no idea what to do, right? You're like, okay, how do they win? Okay, they have one Gate, so they're just Guy Gate. They're not just Guy Gate. They have two Gates. They have a Lyra. They have a Niv-Mizzet. Like, what's going on here? You know what I mean? To me, like, with these Jeskai decks showing up, it's just all these random control players thinking they're big-brained and just shoving these cards in their deck because they're like, oh, one of them's good here, one of them's good there, you know? And then you have these, like, random green-black mid-range players who just think it's a good deck, pick it up, and just get slaughtered by these Jeskai decks, probably because they're playing, making mistakes left, right, and center, attacking into Settle when they don't have to or playing into a Cleansing Nova when they don't have to. To me, like, the reason Jeskai won the event was because um, 
the Jess guy players probably just played their cards better than the other players did. I think like just uh, the way a control deck is built, like if you're the answer deck compared to the threat deck, you're going to lose more often because you need to find the perfect answer every time. Um, I, I don't understand how these Jess guy decks showed up so much other than the fact that it must simply be play scale and people not knowing that this was going to happen. Yeah, it's kind of it's actually hard to put you on the spot and, and have you admit that you're wrong, considering that you did have a strong finish. Verse thirty first, correct? Yep. Um, and my personal record against Jess Guy for the weekend was one one one. My win was against Corey Baumeister on Jess Guy, and so I feel like my my analysis is justified. He even he even said I played flawlessly, which I think is a little bit of an exaggeration. He said that on Twitter, um, but. I think that, like, I don't think I made any mistakes against these Jess guy players. The matchup is very difficult. The moment you make a mistake, you could fall very far behind. Or, like, the moment you sideboarding correctly or the moment you forget uh, the Jess guy deck exists and you don't bring your four duresses, you're a dog in the matchup. But to me, like, you just have to do that. It's the same thing you're getting paired against the mono red deck, right? The moment you forget about mono red, mono red is going to run you over the moment you forget about these white decks, the white decks are going to run you over. The difference is people don't understand that, like, Teferi's still a bonkers magic card just in a bad deck. Andy, I don't think uh, the fans that, that hate Derek are going to enjoy Derek Bunch's episode either. <laughs> it probably has something to do with him sounding like a complete bonehead. <laughs> like, it's how hard is it to just admit that Jessica is just clearly a good deck? It's just, what are you talking about? It does well at every event, but it can't possibly be good. Every event? Wild Walker and Merfolk Branch Walker. I would like to say that 9 out of, like, 11 out of 32 decks were Jeskai, but 9 out of 32 were Golgari. Yeah, and, I think Golgari's a good deck, too. <laughs> right. But, like, two weeks ago, you said it was bad. I've, I've always said it's a fine deck. I just, I just don't, don't understand how, like, how, like, fundamentally these control decks are just so answer based. How you can think that this is a good deck, like, it, like, fundamentally, if you put two people on the same playing field and you just run them through the the options time over time, the person who's playing the answer deck will lose. And like, there's next to no Jeskai decks at the Pro Tour. There was like a sprinkle of control decks at the PT. And that's because people knew about these control decks. They knew how to beat them because these are much better players than at the GP level. Just uh, FYI, statistically uh, at the Pro Tour, they did all the statistics. Control did the best out of everything. <laughs> you like this? I actually did. Is, Where is it Drake's also did very well. I yeah, believe. is it Drake's technically did the best overall with 59% and then control statistically did the best, but there was like only like three or four people playing it. Like you see like players who are just like great standard masterminds like Corey <laughs> Baumeister playing the deck and you just still think the deck is bad. Okay, let's let's go I'm gonna I wanna jump to Marcus. Marcus, let's jump to your prep. Talking to Cyrus, he said that you tried a bunch of different decks, didn't like any of them and decided to mesh some concepts into one one monstrosity. How accurate is that? Tell us your, your prep in deciding your ultimate choice. It's like 90% accurate. <laughs> uh, I literally played every deck in the format, at least two leagues, and they all sucked. Including Desk Guy Control? Yeah, I just went like 3-2 or 2-3 with everything, including uh, certain somebody's green-black list. <laughs> sideboard guide. Uh, <laughs> just like, I don't know. I you can't really just pick up these decks willy nilly and kind of just uh, jam games with them. It seems uh, so. It pays to actually know the decks and know the strategies. But I mean, a lot of people do that, um, and the easiest deck to do that with is probably well the deck I played. Uh, but I've been playing this deck since the beginning of the format. I won a PBTQ with it literally when the format started. Uh, I five out a couple times. Uh, I don't know, Craig Wesco wrote an article and shouting me out for my list. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've been playing the deck for a while, and it's the only deck that I've been winning with, so I figured might as well play it. And then uh, the night of, I was just uh, trying to figure out what cards to play, and then I know I read both Andrew Ellenbogen's uh, article 
and uh, I believe it was like Martin Husa or uh, one of the people who played the LSV list from, uh, from the Pro Tour. And he was just like, both sides were just like, I have a good matchup versus this. Well, I have a terrible matchup versus this. I have a terrible matchup versus this. Well, I have a good matchup versus this. So I was just like, why not just like jam them together? So basically, I took the LSV side of the life gain strategy, which was the Johnny's Pride Mate and the 12 lifelinker life linker creatures, and uh, just jammed Venerated Loxodon in there. Because Venerated Loxodon makes your mono-red matchup supremely better, and the mirror matchups are supremely better, just because more anthems are, are better. And then the life gain ability makes it much better in the mirror match, uh, as well as uh, just like go wide strategies like the green uh, X tokens red. and stuff like that. Also, there it's pretty decent against red exi- outside of like Chain Whirler. Yeah, world those chains. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. The sideboard for the most part uh, was pretty s- not really stock, but it was kind of just like a jam mesh up of like all the sideboards of the pro tour plus the five O lists. Uh, the only difference being, I didn't really, uh, I didn't really four out four of everything. As you see, if you see my list, is just fours of everything. But the sideboard is just like more, I guess, opinion based. I actually didn't really like experimental frenzy. Uh, since my build went uh, slightly a little bit bigger rather than just like 21 drops so it's not just like consistently churning out you know ones and twos ones and twos there's like fours in my deck there's five there's the elephant there's threes so I actually didn't really like that card and in the tournament I cited it in the least uh, because it's not really good against screen black anymore as they have the dinosaur they have a lot of people, uh, almost all the green-black players I played against had the Dinosaur plus Vivian Reed plus, you know, various other abilities. Most of them had Assassin's Trophy, so it just felt terrible, so I just never brought it in. Well, actually, that's not true. I brought it in, like, once or twice, but it just never ended up being good. The card that was the best in my sideboard was probably Aurelia, so I probably pro- probably put another one of those in. The... Yeah, it was probably just Aurelia. Uh, that obviously won me my finals matchup, and it was just really good against, oh, honestly, anything. Jeskai has a lot of difficulties answering it because their main uh, set of removal is Seal Away and two damage slash three damage removal spells. Uh, even a Lava Coil doesn't kill it. And as well as, yeah, Justice Strike doesn't kill it either, uh, even if you pump it. Uh, so literally, they have to use either two removal spells on it or. If you attack with it, settle the wreckage or cleansing Nova, which a lot of lists just aren't playing. They usually have maybe one. And in the worst case scenario, they just like Teferi bounce it, which is extremely okay with. Wow. Uh, Derek, have you had a chance to look at Marcus's list? Yeah, I was, uh, I was just reviewing it now um, while he was talking about it. It looks like exactly if he sat down across from me and went playing Taylor's Hawk, this is exactly the 75 I would expect him to have. It's, uh, it's might not be the exact list. I don't remember if you said it was the exact list that won the PT, but it just has a bunch of powerful white cards that are low to the ground that kill you if you don't interact with them, right? Uh, yeah, seems like a good event. The full turn four kills. Yeah, it seems like a good deck to bring to a team event where you need to get two out of three wins. The times where you... Uh, you may get a little unlucky and not kill your opponent on turn four. Hopefully your teammates can bail you out. And then I believe honestly that most people will just get run over by this deck and it's a free win some amount of the time so that your teammates only have to win one event or one match, I guess, on the table. Seems, seems like a good choice to me. I mean, it was. <laughs> you guys won the event. <laughs> uh, it actually has a lot of staying power. I played against Jeskai, let me see here, I think five times. Uh, four times. Played against Jeskai four times. I played against Boros Angels once. Green White Tokens twice, and I beat them all. Um, Jeskai, obviously, if they just don't have their early draws, like Seal Away and stuff like that, they just lose. However, even in the later games, especially post-sideboard, you have, I mean, I think I bring in almost my entire sideboard, minus Taktali Honor Guard. Uh, and then Mono Red Angels is a miserable matchup, but I actually still managed to beat it because I don't think my opponent knew what he was doing. He just picked up the deck. And, uh, I mean, against Green White Tokens, even the commentator said it was, oh, it's a bad matchup, you know, he doesn't have enough flyers, all that stuff. And I beat that guy 
every time I played him. Uh, and the funny thing is, uh, round, what was it, John, seven or whatever, yeah. he just randomly came up to us. We were sitting. He's just like, hey, you want to jam some standard? And I was like, I, I guess. Sure, why not? I'm not doing anything else. And we just played random games of Magic. We played like two or three games. I beat him every time. And then, like, the final... Oh, no, we played him in Swiss round... I can't remember. Probably like round 12 or something like that. And I beat him again. We lost the match. And then the finals, we played again. And then I beat him there again. So every time uh, the matchup seemed terrible, I just thoroughly trounced the opponent. So uh, there's that. I think the only matchup I played against on the weekend that I felt kind of hopeless was this random blue-black deck that played Sailor of Memes. And (laughs) like... This five mana three four flyer that when it comes into play drains three. Uh, sovereign multi format yeah. all star. Excuse me. Sure. Uh, he <laughs> oh, called this. Is, is this a quasi duplicate deck? Uh, he never played quasi duplicate, but I could probably see quasi duplicate being in that deck. It's it's like sailor memes vampire sovereign. Uh, it also plays um, the two mana explore creature seeker squire, and then it plays like random. Other blue black cards. Yeah, didn't have that one, but it definitely had like a bajillion ravenous chupacabras. In the uh, day two meta game, yeah, in in the day two meta game uh, breakdown, there's actually one Demir quasi duplicate deck that might have been a. Yeah, yeah, I played against that deck uh, about three or four times on Moto before this weekend, and you just kill their creature when they go to quasi duplicate it, and the deck doesn't really do anything. I mean, so, I just uh, played Toctali Honor Guard, and he kind of lost. Oh, yeah. I guess that card's also in the format. I've never played it personally, but that's uh, I can see how that's, how that's Yeah, he just, one. like, lost the game I played it on turn two, and then, like, the next game, he just had, like, seven sweepers, and I died. And I was like, well, well not, not much I can do about that. Man, so... Where, where is your head at for, for standard moving forward, Derek? Um, I mean... I, I'm just going to stick with green-black. I don't really see how I can go wrong with it. I think that um, I'm pretty justified in playing it for the most part. I, I do think that I, I will keep saying that... Uh, 31st. If you wanna, hmm? 31st. Yeah. Can't go play. No, like, I can't, right? Like, I, I think the deck's good. Um, I also think that if you play a deck and you're good with it and you have a good sideboard plan and you know what you're doing, you can't really go wrong either. I think that's the biggest thing in this format. There's no like real deck that I would never consider playing, uh, except for control, unless you're an absolute mastermind. Uh, but other than that, I think just have, play it, have a good plan, do your thing, you know? Mar- Marcus, about the commentators, I, as I was sweating the, the finals, they, they made it sound like you know, once your opponent stabilized that he was going to take over the game at some point, they were just like, hey, how does Marcus actually win from this point? And then you end up winning. <laughs> yeah, so like I said, I played that guy, I think, three three or four times, and every time that exact happened where I just pulled out ahead, uh, I have the roughly the same amount of lords as he does. He has the five mana lord, I have the three mana lord, he has uh, the same amount of venerated loxerons, and then we have the same amount of removal spells, so I figured the matchup is just all about lords for, for the most part. The early game doesn't really matter that much unless you are so far ahead that it, it's like too overwhelming, but as you saw in the match, like it was kind of just like, I got more lords on the table, and I saved my removal spells until uh, you know I, I wanted to do something else with that. I remember I played I played it to get my Johnny's Pride mate back, yeah. and uh, it became like a 14-14, so it was just like, well, yeah, I knew it was going to happen. And then, uh, yeah, and then obviously there's some games where I can just have like six flyers, and he can't possibly win ever, so I feel like the the matchup is actually just advantageous to me. Like I mean, game two. Yeah, game two, I just played two flyers and he died. And Also, in that the first game, he played March of the Multitudes for like nine, and it didn't even remotely matter. Like, uh, we played in the Swiss. He played March of the Multitudes for uh, 16 and wow. 14. I used uh, Flourish twice, and he still lost. And my life total was... I have it written down, written down here. Uh, 114. <laughs> His life total was uh, in the single digits for the whole match. Bane Slayer Hawk. Like, 
like you said, the commentators made it sound like that was going to be backbreaking that turn where he, where he plays like, oh, this is it. This is where he turns the corner. If oh. you actually look at the match, there's never a point in time where Flourish would have done anything. Like, my creatures were always bigger than his. Even if he flourished, my creatures were on the same rate as his. So all I have to do is just make positive blocks, and they never do anything. And I also just had almost the same amount of creatures as him, so it's just like, I don't... I mean, they're good commentators, but I, I, I just didn't think they knew the matchup. <laughs> and keeping mind in game two, uh, Zach uh, Keown went turn, turn three on the play, history, turn four, history, and even then he had no chance. It's one of the biggest and best uh, starts in standard period. He actually, played, he actually played three histories. Oh, sure. Three histories. So you, but you have Baneslayer uh, Hawk, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Marcus, so, so you would play this deck again with the changes that you, that you said this is the deck that you actually like. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I just don't like standard at all right now. It's kind of stale, uh, and it's going to be like that for a while. I mean, it's just going to be like, pick a deck that you like, pick three or four matchups that you like, and then hope you don't play against the fourth, the, like the fifth and sixth matchups. Can I interest you into green-black? No, thank you. Where you're just even against the field by like 1% based on how much you've played the matchup? You can and... tell my seven opponents that uh, their matchup was poor. I don't know. Oh, what? Like, uh, I'll play you for nothing that's money. Uh, let's see, Zan Saeed had, like, what looked like the worst possible matchup for me, and having, like, seven sweepers, and Doom Whisperer, and shit like that, and he was just like, this looks like a terrible matchup for me. I'm just what? like, okay. He crush you. Oh, he's playing Vraska and two trophy. Maybe he also he had, like, four, what was it, four Wild Growth Walker. He had it every time. Yeah, yeah he, he, should, he should definitely... I just folded him every time. Weird. The only game I lost to him was I was stuck on two mana with like three histories in my hand. We got, we got Derek got on green black. We got Marcus backing the deck that he won with. Andy, in the First Strike Nation group, you love Drake's or, well, at, at one point you thought you were testing it. You were unstoppable. How do you feel now? Uh, is a Drake's a good deck. I think like all of the tier one decks are like relatively the same power level. There is some variation between the lists, but I still I still like Isadrix quite a bit. Still crushing with it online? Uh, yeah, the the Owen slash uh, Viren list has just been very very good online. Wait, so lots of lots of variety by by three of our co-hosts. Now let's jump to modern for a man in the house. John, I don't know if you had time to notice this, uh, but I've been tweeting it, so, so surely you've seen the tweet, but someone who was part of our nation who took our first guide that we put together with your initial notes, and he took it to a top four, at a, a top eight, rather, at the London Classic, faceofacegames.com, London Classic, just ran it up with, with your exact list and notes. So that's, that's awesome. I, I didn't know that, but uh, that's great to hear. Um... I usually, um, if, if, if no one's checked it out, I usually do a pretty thorough top 25 sideboard guide and you know, just trying to note uh, what, what, I'm, what kind of hate I'm trying to uh, expect and face and all that. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that my prep for Vegas uh, helped someone out. So no, no, this, is pre, this is pre-Vegas even. This is the one oh. you did before, and he crushed with it. So um, I have the match. I, I'm, not, I'm not just. I keep trying to. I keep shouting out "Find Love," but this is true. Like I'm, I'm friends with John Stern, very good friends with John Stern, and Andy and I know that he's known as. Well, we joke that he's the Peyton Manning of, of Magic because of the amount of prep he does. He does crazy sideboard guys as well. He puts a lot of time and effort. And if you ever team with him or anything, um, I had you know another friend, Justin Richardson, who teamed with him at a WMCQ. Or, um, or I think it was a WMC. No, it must not have been because that was with you, Andy. But it was another event, and when he got past notes from John, they were very extensive. And final nubs, this Jonathan's notes are just as nuts. 25 matchups, and not only that, but you just put in the notes like what they might be bringing in and bringing out and key cards to look out for. So that's like a... Man, that's... 
It might for you. It's standard. When, when I asked you in chat, you just like, yeah, it's pretty standard to me. That's a standard I hold myself to. But I don't think anyone's up there. Well, I figure that given that modern's so like coin flippy, um, yeah, I said it, Derek. Um, it's very coin flippy. It's very rock paper scissorsy. You know, any edge that I can get in preparation or whatever, like I want to get as many you know percentage points as I can. So, you know, I, I also like doing it. I think it's very fun and it's a good uh, mental exercise. So I always do it. So how? At what point did Marcus finally convince you to drop the Grishel brand uh, and the best deck in the format? Well, see, uh, I actually looked at my testing log, and uh, coincidentally, I do have 200 matches with a variety of uh, top-tier decks, and I kept saying to Cyrus and Marcus, hey, you know, modern is a crapshoot. I have no idea what I'm doing. Everything feels medium or medium plus, and there's nothing... I always use this uh, phrase here. Um, modern is like a rock paper game of rock paper scissors, and unless there is a, a machine gun to this game, which is like the Eldrazi I of Ugin Eldrazi Winter deck, like you just gotta play what's what's good and what you what you know the most. So um, if you remember, Marcus, the week before, I actually made my case saying that everything looked medium. I only had one. Uh, I only had a winning record with two decks. Special brand and one other tier one deck, and I just feel comfortable with brand, even though the graveyard eight might be uh, greater than ever. And uh, Marcus, uh, I guess, thankfully, uh, talked me down and said, "Hey, you know, humans is, humans are out there, spirits out there. I just feel like it's not it's not um, a good time for Grisho brand, even though I did have like a sixty five percent win rate online with Grisho brand in, in the testing. And uh, so I did the uh, given that it's a team tournament, I did the responsible thing and. Um, Dropped the uh, Crystal Brand deck, and um, the only other deck that I had a winning record with in testing was Edge. And I assure you, I I tried Humans, I tried Tron, I tried uh, Light Shadow Torn, I tried every single Tier One deck. Now that I have Mana Trader, and it just felt medium. But Dredge had its broken uh, turn three, turn four starts. Edge was pretty resilient if he knew what kind of hate was coming in. So, you know, I, I had never played a game of Paper Dredge until last wednesday and during my wednesday night magic i made i missed so many um triggers and even during uh vegas i missed a lot of triggers and marcus thankfully i was in the um the middle seat and marcus was uh, able to help me through some uh, triggers and combat map that was really helpful thank you marcus and um yeah that was my second time playing dredge in paper i fumbled around i missed some triggers but all's well that ends well right like wow and so you, you're definitely, did, did some of your misplays like cost you some games, John? Thankfully not, but you, I, I've had many instances where I played a LAN and announced I played something only to forget and figure out immediately after that I missed my broadcast um, trigger. So oh. I had to like just, you know, draw it into my head. coming, street corn and uh, amalgam. There's the LAN coming in, blood gas, et cetera. And even then... It, like on Magic Online, all you do is click on the card that you want to dredge and F6, and everything comes in. In paper, it's totally different. Um, it, was a, it was a huge shock, but I'm glad we picked the uh, dredge because it was very good for me. Um, for, uh, for your information, my personal record was, uh, I think, 13 and 5. Marcus was 13 and 5. Also, Marcus didn't lose the entire time uh, during day two, so thanks for the carry. And uh, Cyrus was 14 and 5. I guess I'm. Uh, I was uh, getting carried there, but um, we all did very consistently, and uh, we all we were very good at trading losses. That's good. That's good. Um, and now, so I mean, undoubtedly, even Mar Marcus, you're you're convinced this is likely the the best deck from from your perspective in modern. Uh, not even close. It's not the best deck. I don't I don't think so. I don't think there is a best deck. There never will be a best deck in modern. I don't think unless they come out with something. I don't know, Ludacris. Twin. I don't even think if Twin gets unbanned, it'll be the best deck. Like the format will just change. It'll be more three color based, uh, like three color based attacking decks, like Jund and Mardu and stuff like that. There'll be less Tron, probably less. I don't know, slower kind of mid rangeier decks that aren't Jund. I don't know. Like there'll be less goofing around. But I mean, even if they unban Twin, I don't think it'll be. It'll be good, don't get me wrong. I mean, people will come into the format not knowing Tron uh, Twin is, and you'll go, like, blue fetch, blue fetch, blue fetch, and be like, your turn, 
And then they're like, oh, you'll just believe this. And you're like, oh, you're down turn four. Well, too bad for you. Thank God for modern. <laughs> would, would, you, would you say that modern is kind of random? Oh, oh no. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I just played like three leagues today with hardened scales. And I went 0-2, 2 2 2 because <laughs> I played against like, uh, what was it? I played probably five different decks. I played one one deck that was the same, so fair. Uh, also, I think Jonathan played against maybe only three of the same deck in the entire tournament. I think he played against Band Spirits a couple times, and everything else was different. Oh, I think he played against Arclight Phoenix twice or three times, but one of the people was the same thing, but every other round was like different people. I'm sure he has a full write-up. Yep, um, I have it here. I played against 11 different archetypes in 18 rounds, which is pretty diverse. I mean, I played standard, and I think I played six. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, oh, seven, if you count the blue-black deck. So, whoops. I think, I think Legacy, I think, I think Cyrus played less decks than that, so, I mean, kind of crazy. I think you just have to pick a deck that's just overall good and has an overall cohesive strategy rather than just like I like a, a, a not an interactive deck but like a you know going forward doing your plan and then just like try and pivot based on what your opponent's doing rather than just like okay I hope my opponent's doing this thing and if they just don't you're like well shit oh my bad that's war uh, but uh, like honestly it just seems like uh, like Jonathan for the longest time played Grizzle Shoal and like that deck is just like do something in the first two turns or else you're going to probably lose and like you know modern can do that because there's a million cards to do it but like if you don't well you got caught your, with your pants down just like what are you supposed to do and then people complain I mean I watched I mean I played Tron forever and like I, I can experience the salt and it's great but like I've seen some of the salt that people get when playing Grizzle Show. Like even in John's uh, matchup to the top eight, uh, he played John Rossum and John, he beat him with uh, what was it? Simian Spirit Guides, and he was still salty about it. I mean, like, come on. <laughs> Andy, what's what's you took John's deck for spin? Uh, yeah, so I so I have the modern RPTQ coming up. So like, I feel like I could play humans. Uh, well, so I'm not really working on that at all, and I'm just focusing on to see if if uh, I like dredge a lot, and I have liked it quite a bit. I've tried some KCI as well, and it's very uh, crappy to play on Magic: The Gathering online. I believe the term is unplayable. But I've still been doing pretty well with it, thanks to like the spine of Isha wins, <laughs> where you just wipe their permanents and then call it a day. I don't actually even like. I haven't like looked up all the loops. I just Eventually, like, ah, I think this works. Shoutouts to Canister. Yeah, the Canister. I just took his list. Very good list. Oh, man, I love Canister. What a good guy. Todd. Todd Derek had a math. He did teach me how to math. I can now count to twenty. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so you're down. You're down to a few deck choices still, Andy. Uh, I would say I'm between humans, dredge, and KCI. Very likely to just play humans because uh, I know it very well. But uh, we'll see. I I don't know. I don't really want to play it that much, but we'll see. Derek, are you going down to... You're, you're playing RPTQ, right? No, I'm not qualified. I don't play a lot of Paper Magic. The only reason I played the last RPTQ is because we won the RPTQ before. I'm, like, super off playing... Uh, pre-TQs and RPTQs, I just find them very, I think the word is pedantic, and I'd rather yeah, I'd I'd rather just like play a moto PTQ and try to spike or like try to spike a GP instead of like going to some really crappy local store, spending five hours of my day losing, and then going to an RPTQ where I just complain the entire time like everybody knows I will so I'd rather just stay home in the comfort of my warm home where I can drink as much coffee as I want and I don't have to go to the washroom in some like really bad washroom, you know? So that's where I'm at with pre-TQs. I'm kind of happy they're getting rid of them. <laughs> really, really hard to get some, some positivity. Yeah, we're open to Derek's complain corner on this episode. Why pre-TQs are 
God. It sounds like a delight. You guys have all this positivity every single week. Come on. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I can be positive about things. We can talk about positivity. Positive about. Yeah. I can do a positivity corner. Just have to talk about only green black. Yeah. No, we, we, we can talk about other things. What do you, what do you want to talk about? I'll be positive. Green, black, and modern. Ariana Grande. Oh, Ariana Grande is a treat. Thank exactly. you. God. <laughs> can you believe that Ariana Grande's opinion is free? Oh, man. Just like oh. Twitter. Oh, I love Twitter. Twitter, Twitch, chat. Twitch chat's great. I can't believe Twitch chat's free. I oh. wish I could have seen it. All I, all I saw was, where's Cyrus? Why isn't Cyrus on the stream? Where is Cyrus? <laughs> uh, is, is he? He's not Canadian, right? No. You guys just, you guys just met him from Hoseba? Yes. Yeah. How you pronounce his name? Elfkid? Yep. Elfkid. Cool, cool. I'll never call him by his real name. He'll always be Elf Kid. He doesn't have a real name. He's also not a child. He's older than me, I think. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Marcus, Marcus, do you have any modern, you and John, any modern events on the horizon for you guys or no? Well, it's funny. You should say that. I have the modern RPTQ, the GP Portland, plus uh, whatever else I feel like doing. I also did uh, 30 Days of Modern Magic, uh, a la Eduardo Sajgalik, so I probably have the most modern testing uh, out of most people with the most amount of decks. And uh, well, what's your starting point going to be? Like, or do you already know because it's so random that you don't really care that much? Uh, probably Tron because it's the easiest deck to really just go 1-2-7 and kill your opponent. Wow. I also have the most practice with it, considering I played it at like four GPs and X and Ford every single one. Uh, I also came fourth at a PTQ with it. I also won my P- the first PTQ of the season with it. It's just a good deck. Like there's not there's like hate for it, but like a lot of times you just fight through the hate. It's the same as like well, it's not really the same as Dredge. Like Dredge, you play rest in peace, and it's like well, that sucks. Like now it's a rebuild. Tron is just like oh, you played. A fulminator mage. I'll use one of my twelve cards to go get another piece. Like, and then there's always the factor you can just mulligan to four and just uh, one two seven play Karn, and your opponent just just the look on the despair in their face and just like the shrug in their shoulders, their whole body just like tilt is probably what wakes me up in the morning. Derek likes coffee. I like that. Uh, I have a question. So so let's say, um, barring anything crazy happening in the next couple months with the new sets, let's say there was a a moto grinder that really wanted to uh, qualify for the mocks through uh, the new modern challenges. If, If there was a deck or five decks, say, that you would suggest to somebody looking to play modern to get competitive with, what would you, uh, suggest to somebody for maybe moto specifically and then paper afterwards sure uh well i have moto open right now looking at the competitive league the first place person is playing tron uh the next two people are playing uh i believe it's storm Storm. and this really weirdo three color collective company deck which i couldn't win a match with and neither could a lot of people but this guy keeps 5-0ing with it uh, then there's good old Selfie Sec, who always plays Mardu. I don't know how he wins with that either, but he always does. We have a local player named Nam, who's uh, Nam or Squats on Moto, who plays usually aggro strategies. So like Hollow One, Dredge, played Dredge Mine for a little bit, and Burn. Uh, so those are always good starting points. Any aggressive strategy with uh, usually a very linear game plan, but options for success rates the more you play. Uh, via sideboarding and stuff like that. Uh, Jesse Samick, which is uh, Andrew Jessup, I think, uh, usually plays uh, Grixis Shadow. That's a pretty complicated deck to get into, but powerful if you know how to play it and know your uh, you know your matchups. There's also who else on here? Andy S. C. Wilson, I believe that guy plays Storm as well. There's also Burnastores, who's been playing uh, a lot of Hardened Scales. I know there's a grinder on Moto right now. His name's... Uh, uh, what's his name? There's a person playing Hardened Scales, and he has like a basically what Derek did, where he has this like, spreadsheet of all his wins, and he gives it away to his like followers or whatever. 
and he's been doing like exceptionally well with hardened scales. Uh, he's also going to be at the RPTQ that we're mostly going to be at. So, who is this? I'm trying to remember his name. He's uh, he's Yama Killer. That's it. Oh, oh I know, I know Yama Killer. Yeah, Yama Killer got banned from Moto. <laughs> I heard he got banned for like two weeks or something. Yeah. He got his account back and stuff like that. I think yeah. that's just all a mistake. But uh, yeah, he's been grinding that deck really hard, and so have uh, and a lot of Moto grinders. So that might be something to look at. I I played it when it first came out, and it was pretty powerful. There's a lot of intricate thinking about that. It's like think about affinity, but less all in and more complicated lines of attack. So you thought your Ravager uh, like math was hard before then. Now you get to add the hardened scales math into it, plus sacrificing other things, plus, uh, you know, all your really adding tokens from uh, various hangerback walkers, various other artifacts, and uh, that deck can go completely ham if left alone. Uh, but if you, if I had to choose five, five, five decks uh, on this exact spot, I'd pick probably Tron, Storm, Humans, Band Spirits, and let's go with hardened scales, I guess. Uh, I would probably avoid blue-white, uh, though it's been doing a little bit mm, reasonably. Uh, it's definitely on the decline, as people have you know, figured out how to actually beat it or not lose to it, because it's not that difficult to lose to it once you know what it's actually accomplishing. Um, other than that, yeah, I'd probably go with those strategies. There's always like the guy who's going to go do you know, 7-0 with death and taxes or whatever there'll always be that one person who always plays that one deck that you're like how could this guy ever win ever but it's modern so if you just run good you have solid sideboard choices you know your matchups you can win with uh this pen <laughs> honestly john what when marcus was was talking about playing tron were you shaking your head at that can you no, I um as much as I dislike the idea of Tron, I Tron right now, and uh, I'm I'm just amused at the math they teach in Tron, the school of Tron and Karn is a one two seven. That's all. I didn't. John, John had a bad time at the school of Karn. I didn't pass. No, he flunked. <laughs> he flunked right out. Actually, I played. I tested like thirty plus matches with Tron, and I had the help of Marcus and a noted uh, Tron grinder, Sikmu. Who's also from BC, and I think I had like some win rate. I'm, I'm just like, I can never win this. Some, sometimes I know the power, uh, power level of the deck, but sometimes you just can't win with some decks. And at that point, it's better to move on. You just have to devote your life to the teachings of Karn. No, that's, I go to Church of Grizzlebrand. Uh, I don't need that. Exactly, see? Everybody oh. devotes themselves to something. Derek, but, but by the way, Derek. Um, range strategies, you know? I do want to say that there were um, seven Tarmogoyf decks in the um, the last modern challenge, not to give you horrible ideas, which probably are horrible, but I'm just saying the green-black decks have been doing okay lately. But uh, I guess my advice to you and like the people listening is, like in modern, I try to pick a rock, uh, rock deck, a scissors deck, and a paper deck. That's powerful, not interactive, uh, ideally, and um, try to master those. So if rock is not good, you can pick up paper and vice versa. Um, just to just give my two cents on what I think is very good in modern right now, I'll just give you a few lists. I think hardened scale is very good. It's extremely powerful. Interesting being able to find very good colorless hate pieces is an underrated aspect of that deck. Plus, you can turn for, for people easily, and blue-white is not a, uh, anywhere, which is very good for the deck. I also think uh, deck like Tron is very good if you win your matchup bingo game and if you play that very well, you just gonna have a lot of lopsided games. And uh, I think if you like um, powerful combos, Storm is the best way to go. It can circumvent uh, graveyard deck, uh, graveyard hate. Uh, it has empty and it has piece, uh, pieces plans. And um, it also doesn't take that much time on um, grinding on Moto. So on a real life um, EV per minute basis, it's also very good, I think. So those are the three that I would recommend. That's uh okay. So so two things. First of all, I think you either have to be Reed Duke or related to Reed Duke to play some sort of Tarmogoyf deck and be successful with it. And uh, two, if um if we could all speak on EV per minute from now on, 
on the cast, that would make my life so much easier. So if we could all just be like, I think this is the de- best deck for EV per minute. I, I'm, on, I'm in. I want that deck. I'm going to play that deck. Hey, 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 don't forget about a certain Brazilian, Willie Edel. That man can sling a Tarmogoy boy for two. Oh, well, <laughs> I've heard that he is retiring from Magic. Yeah, I also heard that. It's pretty disappointing, cool. honestly. So I think, I think Tarmogoy hasn't been doing it for him for the past little bit. and That's, that's not a good sign, you know? On a secondary point to what John said about the uh, the legacy challenge, the uh, modern classic uh, was won by humans. There was two in the top eight. There was also two burn and uh, banned spirits. So a lot of creature strategies uh, really doing well. So that usually leads to believe that there's room for more either not really mid-range strategies, but creature hate focused strategies. Like Golgari mid-range was second place in the tournament, losing to, I guess, humans in the finals. Um, I I feel like that probably would be actually a reasonable matchup for Golgari. Depends on how slow his hands were. John, what's what's up next for you in terms of tournaments? What's your schedule like? I'm in the same boat as uh, Marcus. Uh, we're going down to Seattle for um, the RPTQ, and we're going likely going to Portland for the Modern uh, Grand Prix. So, uh, uh, sorry to Marcus who has been testing or who has been forced test standard for the last bit, but. We're going to switch uh, our focus to modern. We're going to try to break in. I'm just kidding. Modern's a crapshoot. Um, but we're just going to try and um, <laughs> decide what's good in modern. My, my belief continues to be that it's a very rock, paper, scissors, see, random sort of um, format. As, and, and as long as you like and accept that, rather than like, wishing it to be something it's not, like you know, games and games of you know, uh, John versus interactive, you know, Count, uh, capitalize on uh, all the two for ones and try to get marginal advantages. As long as you're not expecting that, the modern is fine. And I'm just my plan is just to try to find the best, most uh, linear and powerful strategy. Uh, that's just, my strategy. I just played against Grixis Control, so uh, that guy clearly didn't listen to you at all. Was he Corey Burkhart? He was not Corey Burkhart. Oh, he's done. He's done. <laughs> John, like, how do I expect not to see you piloting Dredge, though? I don't know. I wasn't that impressed by it. I know it's done some really powerful things, but I don't like winning on turn three and four. That's too slow for me, so I'm, I got I to gotta work on that a bit. He's going to eat a big bowl of Cheerios. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> sweet, sweet. Um, right, right prior to the show, Derek, I mean, let's just jump into that. Um, the state of, of chess on Moto. Just wanted to get your take. Yeah, so um, basically the people who, they, they came up with treasure chests so that packs um, wouldn't drop as much so the constructor players wouldn't be getting sealed packs of the current set so only draft players would get that. Uh, it basically raised the price of packs instead of it dropping to basically $2 from like three fifty and like three weeks or so um in doing this they had to like basically uh correlate uh, a slot uh for three slots in the treasure chests and then they updated every couple of months if you go to gobots.com and you look at the treasure chests um basically graph of what they're worth you can see when they update it and when it's a big spike and a big fall so one of the the biggest ones in recent memory was when they announced that they were putting Nexus of Fate uh, in treasure chests. And Nexus of Fates were about 60 tickets to 80 tickets. Um, and people were buying treasure chests to get these cards so they could test for the PT and play this deck because for about a week's period, it was the most expensive deck. So treasure chests went to like 2.5 from like 2.2 or something. And then right at the start of October, they also were at about between 2.5 and 2.6 because they changed the correlation of what was in the treasure chests uh, to like... That was a good time. Yeah. So because it was so high about a month and a half ago, instead of selling them, people would either crack them or buy them. Um, and Or they would sell them. So, sorry, I, I misspoke there. I meant instead of buying them and opening them, people would just sell them because they realized, oh, 2.5 to 2.6, that's, that's insane. Right? Like people are used to like 2.2. So you have chests right now. GoBots is buying them at 2.03 and they're selling them at 2.06. I think if you have a lot of expendable tickets on Moto, 
you should be investing in treasure chests because they will not be this low. They will never go lower than 2.06, in my opinion. Um, they're at two right now. They're buying at two? No, I'm just saying <laughs> treasure chests are at two, period. They're at two? It's two dollars. It says that they're buying them at 2.05 and they're selling at 2.08. Okay. And the EV is at two. Okay, fair enough. I guess I'm uh, wrong, but yeah, it's, it's miserably low. I'm very but like, yeah, they'll never be lower than this. So like when, when they announced the, the UMA, they said that the box toppers on Moto would only be available in treasure chests. So I think once they change uh, the, the number of cards, the next change, the treasure chest will spike again. So I think like if everybody just hoards treasure chest right now, not only will goat bots put them up because supply and demand will be different, but then you, you can also cash out in about a, a month or so when UMA comes out on moto. So, uh, their time. M- MTG finance, but loves moto finance. And- oh, MTG finance and paper is so random because you have commander players. It doesn't make sense. I love commander players. They make me a lot of money. Yeah, like like one weekend you're gonna be like, oh, I found this uh, article on Reddit that uh, that is tiered so that people with basic reading can read, and then commander cards go through the roof. On Moto, it's just strict supply and demand, which is just like to follow. But most Moto grinders are too lazy because they're too busy playing Moto. So it's just like so much money to be made. Andy, are you buying this? Are you are you gonna stock? I, I know you were stocking up or loading off Sahelis at one point. I, th- I think you were stocking up on them before they, they unfortunately got banned. But are you buying this treasure chest theory? Are you are you loading up on some treasure chests? Here? Well, I haven't sold treasure chests in a bit, so I like I have some stockpiled. But uh, it's also funny. So during the era where they were worth a lot, and the EV was actually positive to open them, I just bought three hundred treasure chests and just opened them all. <laughs> A lot of chest. Yeah, I ended up like Very down two hundred ticks, but up <laughs> uh, up to six thousand play points. Yeah, that's that's the great thing about the the GoatBots EV calculator is they count play points as a percentage of a ticket of what they're like exactly worth. So like a hundred play points, or is it a hundred? Yeah, a hundred play points is ten tickets. So they count that. So okay. like if if you open 100 play points, you're opening 10 tickets, but you can't sell those play points. So it's like just much better to sell them, right? It's so nice. So nice that they do that for you. Uh, John, you have any thoughts? No, right? Are, are you into like MTG finance game? John's into a real life finance. <laughs> yeah, Marcus got it right. <laughs> Love it. Uh, so. Okay, I guess I will do it for most of the show. Marcus, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything you would like to plug? I know you stream a lot, produce a lot of videos. What, what, what do you want to plug? I mean, I'm no next-level streamer like a certain somebody else on this <laughs> uh, channel. Uh, but uh, if you do want to follow me in my misadventures of disastrous uh, magic decks and uh, complete waste of time, uh, you can follow me at... Uh, what was it Twitch TV slash Ghost X Empire? Uh, I am pretty close to becoming a partner, uh, depending on how many subscribers I get. But uh, I mean, if I get there, that'd be pretty chill. Also, you can see my sub goal of buying a, a ridiculously stupid looking hat. It's a great sub goal, and you'd be really, uh, really pleased to find me at a local GP wearing a exceedingly long hat, looking like a complete fool. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at uh, I believe it's nerd underscore gasm at g-a-z-m uh, very important with the z uh, you can also f- follow me on youtube and by follow i mean subscribe it's also ghost x empire i believe it's ghost x empire gaming uh i did once again i did the uh took eduardo sagulik's idea of doing 30 days of modern so i did the 30 best decks uh the most uh winning decks on moto and uh, ran the, the gauntlet and just did a uh, League of Every One. Uh, a lot of them were horrific. I would not recommend them, but uh, some of them I 5 0 with, and most of it lost me a lot of money. But hey, man, that's uh, you got to spend money to make money. Uh, yeah, honestly, that's probably about it. If you want to ask me any questions, uh, I'm an open book. I sometimes write articles, but 
uh, it's really hard to write articles for free. What's the best place for someone to like a player that wants to ask you about the standard deck? What's the best option out of all these places that they can find you to reach you? Honestly, all of them. I'm online 24 seven. Basically, I just like live on the internet. <laughs> Sounds I am, good. I am the internet. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you so much for coming on, Marcus. Anytime. Alrighty. Ciao, Marcus. Boom. So that was Marcus Tebow. I'm not, I'm not gonna sing John. On. John's actually one of our uh, regular co-hosts, so no, he's not. He's not a guest. Not a guest. Um, but uh, that was Marcus Tebow, standard player for uh, the, the SCG Vegas winning team, along with Jonathan Zhang. Derek, uh, what do you think about uh, Ariana Grande? I can't, I can't get enough of that for a segment. That was too good. Thank <laughs> you, God. He's great. <laughs> She's great. No. <laughs> lots of contents, lots of standard, lots of modern. Um, Derek, anything you want to plug? How, how's your stream going? Uh, stream's going good. I have, I have like, now that I've hit partner, I have like a million things I want to do with it. It's just like a process of actually doing it. Um, I think like partner isn't much more than just like a hub for more opportunities, which is which is sweet. It's just like you have to get the opportunities and like work with them and move forward with that. Um, so yeah, if, if you don't already follow, you can follow me on Twitch or Twitter at misplaced ginger. Um, hopefully we're going to be, I'm going to be big things in the work. I, that's a very, uh, what's that? It's just like a random phrase that people say, like big things are coming. And it's like, Oh, did a big thing come? Or are they just trying to like sell me a pyramid scheme or something? You know, it's like, buy in now you know like that new uh what was that that thing that all the magic players were like selling their emails for on twitter for like a week oh man yeah that was so funny anyways uh follow and like me on the internet john john it seems to have some insight on that like, no 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 um just for the uninitiated can you can you just let me know what does it take to be a twitch partner and what do you what can you what do you get being a twitch partner um, so basically, a Twitch partner is somebody who's uh, basically your franchise in Twitch. Um, so in order to be a partner, you have to be an affiliate. In order to be affiliate, I think you have to stream, I think it's 12 hours in a month, and have two, two streams a week or something. I don't know. The, the, the numbers are kind of spotty. I don't exactly remember, but it's like a very low threshold. And then you get a subscriber button, you get one emote. Um, in order to be a partner, you have to have 75 concurrent viewers over a month span consistently. And then you have to also stream for X amount of time and you have to have like some other things. So when there's a, there's a area in your dashboard, when you stream called achievements and there's like an achievement bar. And once you hit uh, the certain path to partner, you can apply. And then if Twitch thinks that you've hit the threshold or, and you'll continue to stay on the threshold, they approve you for partner. And then once you get partner, you get um, emotes based on how many subscribers you have. You can run ads, you get opportunities for bounty board and other sponsorships. And you basically, you just get a lot more opportunities, but it's all in like your court. Interesting. Yeah. Big achievement then. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty big achievement. Congrats, man. Thank you. <laughs> Andy, any, anything uh, besides the RPTQ, anything you want to talk about, anything you need to plug, shout out? Uh, no, no plugs currently. Just uh, going uh, crazy. Uh, school is crazy right now. A lot, of, uh, a lot of projects. So I've been really busy with that. All right, shout outs to school. <laughs> shout outs to university. <laughs> we got shout outs to Ariana Grande, shout outs to school. John, what, what's yours before I take it away? Uh, just a quick shout out to our uh, winning teammate, uh, Cyrus from Gill. We found you in a very uh, weird and random manner, but we were glad we did. And uh, yeah, good job to us. Good job, Cyrus. All right, John, always. Uh... Just too excited to see John do well again. Extra special, John, because because you're more fresh, as you would say, into the competitive scene. So 
seeing you jump in, in, enjoy and then you know you guys hugging and, and this guy who you've basically never met before that was that was something special um so what to plug obviously got a plug if you want to support the show go to patreon.com slash first strike going to be updating some of the perks uh soon but right now the most exciting stuff it thing is john's extra 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 in-depth guide on dredge 25 different matchups so you're playing the RPTQ and you don't want to be like, uh, how do I sideboard in this? And you want to play Dredge? Perfect time to support the show. Also, at the $1 level, you get access to unedited recordings of my new show, the KYT show. So you're going to hear some stuff before that might, like, depending on the guests, some of it might contain some personal questions or just sort of personal ramble that maybe you guys want a little glimpse at. There's that. And this week will end my A team. Uh, donation drive thing that, that I was doing on my website, kytmagic.com for mostly A-Team fans. Got a bunch of A-Team toques that I found in a closet back home. And for the price of essentially the toque uh, that it took to produce one of these toques, I'm going to donate all, all the money minus the shipping costs to Food Banks Canada, which is one of the most effective charities in Canada and ensures that there's less hungry people this holiday season though it's a good cause and you're getting you just have to donate what i paid to get these tukes made so um and and that's about it i'm probably gonna do more stuff in in keep keep your eyes open um on all our social media channels make sure you like us on facebook like this video give it a thumbs up if you enjoyed the content and we will see you next week Okay. As for, for Derek, Andy, John, and Ariane Grande, <laughs> and school, we say bye. Love you guys. Ciao.